Well, it's a good Friday. And that begs a really important question. Why are we here today? For some of us, it's a bit like mid-morning at this time. And for others, it's like the crack of dawn. For many, it's just a day off, a chance to go to the beach, binge on Netflix. For us, it's more profound, more wonderful, more brutal and painful. And yet, to put it simply, it's life-changing. We gather together in this place of outstanding beauty. Full dam, birds in the air, birds in the trees, koalas not far. But what for? Do we gather in memorial of a near 2,000 year old event? Do we gather to remember that event by honouring the story of Jesus' death and then be about our day? We're going to share communion together soon. And is that what Jesus had in mind when he invited his people to eat and drink this, to remember him? The communion meal and Jesus' death are inseparably connected. We're eating to remember his broken body and his shed blood on a Roman cross. But what did he mean when he said, remember me? Was it a call just to bring to memory that event or something more? communion meal was inaugurated at the time of another meal of remembrance, the Passover. And for the people who shared the Passover meal, the invitation to remember was more than just bringing to memory the events of the Exodus. Rather, it was a special invitation for all who shared in that meal to be intimately grafted to that event to be engrafted to the people who experienced that event, who walked it and journeyed it. It's something profound and deeply holy as they would sit together in their homes and they would eat. They would tell the story first and then they would eat the meal. And as they would do that, by the work of the Spirit, something wonderful would happen. They would intimately become part of that moment in time when God did such a wonderful thing. The invitation to remember today and every time we share that meal of remembrance is to be intimately grafted to the King of Kings as he hung, as he bled and as he died on a Roman cross and all that he endured. So here in this place of beauty and tranquility, we tell a story of sheer horror and brutality where the very worst of man is met by the very best of God. And far from the images of classical art or the stained glass window, the Roman crucifixion is almost unanimously regarded by historians as the worst, most humiliating and gruesome form of execution ever devised by man. This is the kind of day that we've gathered to remember. So I'm going to do my best to tell the story before we eat the meal. And I warn you, there's nothing clean about it, there's nothing wholesome about this story, but to tell it in any other way would do no honour to it. For in the comfort of our 21st century Australia, 
We're not confronted with this kind of savage barbarism. Yet to truly honour the day and enter remembrance, it's a place we must journey, and we're going to journey it together. But before we do, I just want to stop for a moment and pray. So if you join me, let's pray. Father, we give you all honour as King of the universe. And Jesus, we honour you this day as the one who lived, inaugurated the kingdom, died on a Roman cross and is now resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father where you rule and reign with absolute supremacy. And Holy Spirit, we honour you today by asking you to do what only you can do. Make us one with Jesus as he endures that Roman cross. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I tell the story, I just welcome you to close your eyes, fix your eyes on something, assume whatever position you need to assume, to let your mind be quiet and your heart be still, and to welcome Holy Spirit to penetrate deep inside your heart, your mind, your soul and your body, for this is the essence of true worship. In our comfort and in this beautiful peace we enjoy today, we find ourselves so far removed from the heartlessness of that day. Crucifixion was an inescapable part of Roman life and truly men, women and children saw it almost daily as men, women and even children endured it. It was not spoken of in those days, a taboo subject that needed no description. The gospel writers simply say, they crucified him. That was all that needed to be said for the people under first century Roman rule need only walk the surrounding streets to find it. We've sung about his broken body and his shed blood. Now let's journey it together. The hallmarks of Roman crucifixion were pain and shame. The goal was to inflict as much of this as possible for the longest time possible or until that specialised crucifying garrison had had their fill. And that's where our story begins. These specialised garrisons took enormous pride in perfecting their craft and the extent of their bloodlust was tempered only by that of their prefect that they served under. And Pontius Pilate will be remembered as a bloodthirsty man capable of unusual cruelty. So stage one, Pilate first handed Jesus to this garrison for flogging. As they took charge of Jesus, they stripped him naked to shame him. They chained him to a post or a rock so that he could not flee, though his fierce resolve would have prevented any such act. His heart rate skyrocketed. His body released adrenaline in expectation of the count to come. And then silence. A sick game played by the garrison to induce fear as to what was to come. The silence is broken by the commander's voice. Una, due, tre, quattro, cinque, sex, septem, octo, novem, decem. 
With each count came the systematic shredding of muscle and exposed flesh and bone that let his blood flow like the damn walls behind us as they opened. The whips with threaded metal, glass and bone, cutting nerves and severing tendon and ligament, brought Jesus to a place where his body was unrecognisable and pain filled every part of him. The flogging was designed to bring the recipient near to death and in some cases achieved that result. For simply to nail an unflogged person to a cross could mean their survival for days or even weeks. The commander's soldiers, poisoned by the cruelty they were trained to inflict, wove a crown of thorn bush and placed a purple robe on him and paid fake homage to the true king of kings. After the commander had determined Jesus had had enough, he was instructed to send Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate had hoped the severe flogging might satisfy the bloodthirsty mob who delivered Jesus to this fate. It did not. Pilate presented Jesus to the people with a simple message, Behold your king. The response broke Jesus' heart. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Pilate was unwilling to comply, but not out of concern for Jesus, but out of pettiness not to give the Sanhedrin what it wanted. At the increasing threat of riot, Pilate relented without compassion and had the cross piece to which Jesus would be nailed fastened to his back. The exact distance Jesus had to carry the crossbeam is unknown, but any distance after flogging would have been torturous and humiliating. For the crown of thorns would have remained, but the robe removed. This march needed to be done naked. Crossbeam tore and dug deeper into the exposed wounds on his back. Every step brought in more intolerable pain. His breath was short and the flavour of blood was all he could taste. When he reached his destination, a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, he was met by a post already fixed in the ground, no higher than this post just behind me. The stench of the body pit behind the uprights, where those who were crucified before him lay, would have filled his already struggling lungs with a putrid air. The smell intolerable, if he could smell it all by then. Then they unfixed the crossbeam from his back, and as it dropped to the ground, a rush of blood flowed from the freshly opened wounds the crossbeam caused on that lonely, painful march. The crucifying garrison forced Jesus to the ground, face up, his exertion momentarily ceasing. As they lay him on the beam, they stretched out his arms. With one man holding his forearm, another drove a nail through his wrist in the gap between the radius and the ulna. Pain rushed up his arm, into his shoulder and neck as they severed the source of many nerves and tendons that rest there. And so nerve pain is added to his ordeal. Once the other arm is nailed, they forced him to sit up in a moment of mercy. They would have held the beam as the back of the nails were bent over, ensuring the nails could not slip free. Then with a shoulder, a soldier either side, the cross beam with Jesus fixed to it with nails, was lifted into place in the upright, so hanging him there. His feet would have been agonisingly close to the ground. Then they lifted his feet away from that ground they were so close to, 
bent his knees in order to position each foot either side of the upright. Then taking two more nails, drove each one through each foot between the ankle bone and the Achilles tendon. And more nerve pain shot up Jesus' legs into his hips and lower back. The garrison's job was done for now. And so they could amuse themselves by casting lots for Jesus' possessions. Nothing more than his clothes removed after that flogging. For three hours, Jesus hung there, enduring the pain that coursed through his body as he pushed through those pierced legs just so he could take a breath. As that three hours was coming to a close with what would have been one of his last surges of effort, he commissions his friend John to care for his mother. And even after all of that suffering, still, he looks beyond himself. And with one big cry, he calls out to his father, Allahi, Allahi, Lema Samatani. The priest thought he was calling to Elijah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried. And we don't know exactly what happened in that moment, but we know one thing for sure. The father was there. The father was there enduring the cross, even as the son took the brunt of it. And then as he drew his last breath, he spoke three words, words of hope, words of finality, words of victory, words that will echo for all eternity that declare the heart of God for all who would come to him. It is finished. As the last of the air left his lungs, his heart stopped beating, his brain ceased to function, for truly in that moment, the incarnate king of the universe hung naked and dead. At least for three days anyways. That's our story. And I invite you now, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer, but I invite you to come afterwards down to the tables, down to the cross, where we're going to eat and drink this meal of remembrance. And in that place, I pray Holy Spirit might remember you to this event, might remember you to Jesus and become one with him in that savagely beautiful day on a Roman cross. The Lord's Prayer is just written on the inside of your little notices there. It's in a, maybe a different form than what you might be used to, but I welcome you to read it with me as we read this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. So I welcome you in your own time just to make your way to the cross. Don't be in a rush. 
come as you as you're ready and eat and drink and I welcome you to do it in silence I welcome you to the table <laughs>